Thank you, Jack. Thank you, worship team. Man, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Um, it was a full weekend for us. My girls turned nine. I have twin nine-year-olds, so we had a cloud nine birthday. And my son is turning eight next week, which is, which is surreal to, to believe. And so we had 20, not including my four, running around our house on Friday night. And uh, I was doing some minute to win it games. And one of the little girls came up to me and said, it is so loud in here. Just the, just the screaming. Uh, my name is David. I love being one of the pastors around here. And uh, yeah, excited for Jen and our women's team this, this coming weekend. Hope you're able to participate and attend. Um, and something coming up. Um, and so for our uh, members, uh, you're going to get an email tomorrow. Um, every five years, one of the practices around here, and, and as a pastor, I'm so thankful for your guys' generosity to me in this way. Is it hard to believe it's been five years um, coming summer 2024? Um, and so prior to me, um, there's been a value of these sabbaticals. And so I'm actually applying for this grant to help maybe provide some resources for some pulpit supply come summer 2024. So if you remember, you're just going to get an email uh, and we would love your perspective. Um, uh, just this grant would love to see that there is a support. It's something we've done historically, but there's some questions in addition to that support is just, hey, what, what might you give as some feedback? So soliciting some feedback from you guys uh, as we anticipate this and uh, apply for this particular sabbatical grant to, again, provide resources for pulpit supply come summer 2024. That is absolutely surreal. But again, an incredible gift uh, that, that Hillcrest provides our pastors, in which I'm deeply thankful. Um, but I, I just want to do a little quick look back. We are in Luke. If anyone is surprised by that, shocked by that, we're in Luke. Hey, Dan. Hey, Allie. It's good to see you guys. Good morning. <laughs> Welcome. Um, and uh, Dan, we're in Luke, if you were concerned about that. And, and we, we've been in this movement, the entrance of the king. We, we looked at this incredible birth narrative, but now we're in the teachings of the king. And, and I hope that there's this relentless desire for us to, to hear from God through his word and develop a theological grid so that we can live life in our Monday to Saturday. We long to be biblically saturated around here. And, and yet we understand the Bible is, is comprehensive, not exhaustive. And so in our desire to build this theological grid, we, we long to be culturally discerning. And, and so um, over the next five weeks, as we go through Jesus' sermon on the plain, as recorded by Luke, uh, different than the Sermon on the Mount, though very similar in context, uh, I, I would love, if there's questions that start to bubble up in your heart as we last week looked at the upside-down kingdom and who Jesus selected, this morning as we unpack love your enemies, next week when we talk about don't judge, the following when we talk about a tree and its fruit, and then Luke uh, wraps things up with build your house upon the rock. If, if there's questions that start to bubble up in your mind about these teachings, text 888-824-1604 and then click join or type join and, and those questions will come to us. Uh, and we would love to, on a Sunday morning, be able to answer some of those questions as they might come up. Believing, it, again, asking questions 
wrestling with doubts? We think God is big enough to handle our questions, and so we want to embrace questions around here as a value. We want to be curious. And so I hope if there's something that starts to strike you that you text in. There's a guy named Dallas Willard, and he describes in the opening of his book, A Divine Conspiracy, this beautiful picture of this upside-down kingdom. And many in our world, he says, are flying their planes upside down. Here's how he opens his book. Recently, a pilot was practicing high-speed maneuvers in a jet fighter. She turned the controls for what she thought was a steep ascent and flew straight into the ground. She was unaware that she had been flying upside down. This is a parable of human existence in our times. Not exactly that everyone is crashing, though there is enough of that, but mostly us as individuals and world society as a whole live at high speed and often with no clue to whether we are flying upside down or right side up. Indeed, we are haunted by a strong suspicion that there may be no difference or at least that is unknown or irrelevant. Last week, we saw the Beatitudes, which is an upside-down look at our culture, but it's actually the right way up. It's just we're so inundated with people flying upside-down that sometimes we think the way Jesus intended to live is, is, is upside-down because it's so counterintuitive to the rest of the way the culture lives. But instead, Jesus is trying to give us an understanding of how to fly our plane right side up so that when we look at the controls, we don't think we're flying straight and end up running right into a cliff. The the world is flying upside down, and I love the way Dallas pictures that it's a parable of human existence, that some people are crashing and others are just flying aimlessly through this life. And so I want to read the Beatitudes one more time because I think it sets the table for what we're going to experience in this Sermon on the Plain over the next few weeks. Jesus is describing this upside-down kingdom from the way the rest of the world works. Here's how he described it last week. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leave for joy. Behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so they did to the prophets. But woe to you. Things that we would all assume as, man, isn't this what a successful life looks like? Woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now. For you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so they did to their fathers and to the false prophets. So their fathers did to the false prophets. There's this picture of this upside-down kingdom that Jesus begins inviting this crowd into, and Jesus changes everything. In the opening of his Beatitudes, he shows he's, he's available for all. <laughs> Anyone looking for this life can find it in him simply by recognizing their need. I heard a friend say, but, but the challenge to see this master is often complicated because I have my master card. <laughs> I have something so accessible that at any moment, at any day, I can get what I need. And so why do I need Jesus? And yet there's this recognition of him that life is about and finding him satisfying. 
And then he begins describing in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the gap, that gap between my actual state and my desired state, Jesus actually steps in and we can, we can actually experience joy in the midst of suffering. Why? Because Jesus is present. That's what he says. Blessed are you, he says, and we can leap for joy even in the midst of that. And so around here, I hope that's our foundation. I hope this Jesus guy is the foundation for our lives and for our multi-generational community. And so as we get into this next teaching, I, I just want to give a picture of how it resonates with me, uh, where I've been coming from in my background, um, but also validated by a conversation I had this past week about where someone might be looking for joy. Often it feels like in Christianity, we say, there's all the things that life offers, and we get that, that that brings joy and happiness, but you know what? Just give that stuff up and pursue God. But, but God kind of feels boring and dull and lame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly what the Christian life is supposed to be like. Give up your joy so you can pursue and just suck it up and do it. Instead, what the gospel writers, what Jesus offers is actually the more we pursue this this. God-designed journey of life to fill this hole. We try and fill it with so many things. If we keep climbing that ladder, it's actually Jesus that brings that satisfaction for our life. And it's not an old view of Christianity. New. It's, I think it's the view of Christianity. It was old for me and new for me. And, and so Jesus continues to invite us into flying our plane right side up. And you heard me say it just earlier, what's the one he's teaching us this morning? <laughs> I mean, David, that's a nice slogan that we put on our wall. It's something nice that we can theoretically conceive of and, and find some delight in. That's a nice, catchy slogan to throw around for a faith community. <laughs> Love your enemies. And yet, as we get into it this morning, how is that even possible? It's only possible because the spirit of the living God is in us, empowering us to, to this reality, because this is so counterintuitive for the world. <laughs> The world doesn't know this type of love. Because <laughs> we understand when someone wrongs me, what do you do? Eye for an eye. <laughs> you get revenge, retribution. <laughs> and sometimes you escalate it even higher just to make sure they got the message. <laughs> and yet Jesus says, you want to fly your plane right side up. Let me tell you about how this life is intended to be lived. So let's read the text this morning, because I think Jesus intends this to be more than just a catchy slogan we put on our walls. Oh. <laughs> and yet the heaviness of what this is for me, because of how far it feels I am from this reality <laughs> on a day-to-day -day basis. And so let's dig in. Here is the text. And again, I love what we do around here. Exegesis to theology of the life. We read the Bible to develop a grid and then make real decisions in real time. So here is where Jesus goes this morning. 
But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you and from the one who takes away your goods. Do not demand from them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Because if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Why? Because your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. So, so here's where I think we're headed this morning. This living in this upside down kingdom of God, Jesus makes it clear. Man, he writes a lot and gets pretty precise about what this would look like. He writes a lot. He makes it clear that those who really treasure him, who are flying their plane right side up, are called to radically love their enemies. Does someone come to mind? <laughs> When we hear that phrase, is there someone that immediately your mind is just flooded with that, that currently there might be some conflict going on? Do you have a pulse? We're going to try and walk through, not love your enemies, they, like this, this amorphous group, but is there someone with whom maybe there's some conflict? And we're going to try and unpack what Jesus might offer for us in that moment. So pray with me, and we'll, uh, we'll dig in. God, I am absolutely floored and humbled often by your grace and your mercy extended to me. Uh, help us as a, as a family uh, continue to take steps of experiencing more life with you. And help us hear from your word how, me, how we might respond in our world. Always for your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. So unlike usual, I maybe put the few subpoints in the outline. So uh, if that gives you a hint on how many slides I might be throwing at you this morning. Um, here's the, the three movements that I see in the text. The call to radical love than the motivation of our love, and then maybe walk through a few ways of what it might mean to display this love more thoroughly. So here's, here's where I, I think we start, and it's right at the get-go. But I say to you, love your enemies. Who is that? Who, who, who are or who is my enemy? And sometimes where my mind first goes is the person I don't like. I don't think that's who Jesus has in mind when he says, love your enemies. I think sometimes our mind goes to those we don't like. I don't think Jesus is telling us to love those we don't like. I don't think that's in this particular context. Why? Because the call for the Christian is this call for love constantly. And so if I'm not liking someone, what does that actually say? It says something about me. If, if my mind is geared towards not liking someone, 
and viewing them as my enemy, I think that's a, a shot to my heart about what, what mercy have I received and what grace have I received instead. And this definition isn't mine. I, I'm so thankful for uh, my previous lead pastor, Todd. I've adopted his definition, and I, and I appreciate it. My enemy isn't those I don't like. Instead, as I love people in my Monday to Saturday, as I engage people constantly, as I'm letting down my nets, what tends to happen in that journey? There might be some people who are opposed to that reality, who might find joy in diminishing my joy. Whether consciously, subconsciously, there is opposition and and, uh, and a response of attempting to diminish my joy in sharing love in their direction. Man, <laughs> my enemy no longer is someone that I'm opposed to. That would be work in my heart. Instead, as we go through this life and attempt to love and encourage and point others to Jesus... Do you think that's always received as well as we would hope? <laughs> and so Jesus then, sometimes to define it, helps us bring illustrations so that we can understand what he intends that to look like. And so he says, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Who, who is my enemy in that sense? Someone who is abusing Cursing or hating, presenting opposition in my desire to demonstrate love. And we'll get to what love might be seen here in a second. But I say to you, you hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Not just accept them, but actually get to the point where you could bless someone who is opposed to you. Now, now don't go to the place. This is where, oh man, I should have clarified this earlier. Don't go to the place of, of someone who's abusing you. If you're in an abusive relationship, get out. We're, we're not saying stay in an abusive relationship. If someone is physically harming you, uh, your kid, ugh, it's not saying stay in these situations, right? And, and I hope that's just accepted. And I apologize. I should have made some of those caveats. D don't go to those places. But in our Monday to Saturday, as we're interacting, those who are opposed to us demonstrating love. So then the obvious question then is, well, what's love? If I have an understanding of my enemy, someone who's opposed to me demonstrating this joy and love towards them, what, what is love? And, and, and so, again, but I say to you, love your enemies. And Jesus gets pretty stinking clear, right? He, he gives us a lot of examples to try and show us what this is. He says, offer the other cheek, give your coat and shirt, give to the beggar, and don't expect anything back. Verse 29, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. There's some historical context there about respect and honor. For the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic, this other layer of clothing. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Again, don't go to those layers because what's, we, some of us have kids. 
Is he saying, whenever your kids ask for something, just give it to them? Between a citizen and a police officer, ought the police officer just give to the one who asks? I hope the resounding answer is no, there is a justice system. <laughs> to, to the employer and the employee who might not be upholding their part of their profession, ought the employer just give to the employee haphazardly? No. Because Jesus elsewhere says, give to the one who's, honor of his wa- who's worthy of his wages, right? So the, the Bible is comprehensive, not exhaustive. So if there are questions that start flooding your mind about very specific examples, text them in because we want to work through those. But, but he gives four examples of what this love looks like. And, and there's, do you guys love musicals? Yeah. I stinking love musicals. Just the, the concept of people breaking out in song and everyone knows the dance moves. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing. There's a movie that, or, or there's a play, a musical that comes to mind when we start talking about this love. Does anyone know it off the top of their head? Les Mis, yeah. yeah. There's a situation where Jean Valjean flees, right? And, and I don't think I'm ruining any plot holes here. It's, you go see it. Um, but he flees. And he's, he's thrown in jail for stealing a loaf of bread to provide. And, and he flees this space. And he's on the run, finds his way into a monastery or, or, a, or church. And he's welcomed in. Though it's clear he's a criminal based upon his uh, ticket or passport, whatever it was. And he's welcomed in. That night... He conks the priest on the head and steals some of the silverware and flees. Priest wakes up, big old knot on his head. The nuns are there going, man, what happened? He's kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Police officers find Jean Valjean and they bring him back. And they, they bring him back to the church. And, and they find the priest and, and they turn to him. And they say, this man has stolen from you. Isn't that correct? He's taken stuff that didn't belong to him, and and we want to make sure so we can send him back to prison. To which the priest responds, Jean Valjean, you forgot the other silver which I was going to give you. He demonstrates and goes beyond and demonstrates love for his enemy. And then Jean Valjean, overcome by the weight of this grace and mercy, completely changes the trajectory of his life and is never the same. You can track the story. There's this manifestation of what it means to love your enemies. Now, what is that love? There was an action. But I'm going to read a quote from one of the commentaries. Again, you guys are so gracious to allow me to walk through this stuff. And I'm going to read a commentary that I think has an inaccurate view of trying to unpack what this love is. Because we see the act. Jesus gave us four acts, and there's this beautiful story of what it means to love your enemies. Here's what one of the commentators said. The last three commands reveal that the command to love one's enemies does not appeal to the emotions, but the will. 
Jesus did not command his followers to feel in a certain way, but to act in a certain way. Emotions can be elicited, but not commanded actions, and the will can be commanded. Thus, the command to love one's enemies is not directed to how believers are to feel, but how they are to act. So here's the chart, right? Thinking what we believe to be true inevitably elicits emotions. They're the dashboard of our life. When I'm out of gas, my gas light comes on. When I'm out of or low on oil, which I still am, I'm down to 5%. I went to have Casey's car checked out when it was at 15, and then there was snow, and so I didn't show up to replace the, anyway. So these indicators come on. So it's like, I'm asking for you to give me grace that I haven't gotten my wife's oil change yet, right? That's, That's what we're doing. It inevitably launches feelings, and then it leads to an action. There's the train. Thinking leads to feeling, leads to action. The commentator was advocating that we should just divorce our feelings from our life and just do it. Doesn't matter what you feel, just do it. And you guys have heard me give this this illustration before, and, and I try to unpack the layers of what might be happening in my heart. If I turn to my wife, And she doesn't see these layers of emotion, but I turn to her and I say, hey, babe, I have zero love in my heart for you. (laughs) There's no emotional care in the world for you, but here are some flowers because I'm your husband. (laughs) How might she feel in receiving that if she actually saw my heart? I would argue that's not love. Just because she got the flowers... Just do it, David. It doesn't matter what you feel. Just do it. Is that love? She got the flowers. What's she complaining about? And you know what? I even threw in some chocolates too. Instead, thinking leads to feeling leads to doing. There's a deep emotion that comes with this love. And that's why love your enemies, I think, is so elusive for us. Because there is this weight this gravitas that comes with it. So what is love? Here's my best attempt at a definition. It costs something. It comes with someone else's good and our joy, the motivation, that desire for good, and is pointed to God's glory. It costs something. Did it cost that priest something to give Jean Valjean (laughs) those candlesticks? Yes. Am I convinced that he's doing it Because he desperately wants Jean Valjean to lead a better life. Yes. And is it coming from a promotion, not ultimately an altruistic, philanthropic? Because I think the world can stop at those two and it would be a pursuit of love. For the Christian, there's always something greater. Namely, that you would see God and his love and his grace and his mercy and his glory in that act. Through that act. Oh man, this is where I should throw in a bunch of illustrations and try and unpack it a little bit more, right? We're going to keep flying. Oh man. And so I love what Jesus says. He gives a summary. He says, so go do something for him. You know that person that's opposed to you? 
because I've radically changed your life and you're flying your plane right side up, go do something for him. Here's what he says. He quotes the greatest commandment. As you wish that others would do for you, the golden rule, as you wish that others would do for you, do so for them. (laughs) Go and demonstrate love towards them. But this feels so rare. So rare that I have to quote a movie because it feels so absent from at least my every day. I don't often remember when I've opposed someone that they've come back and shown me love. (laughs) Instead, it often feels, how do I manipulate the situation to find retribution? Why is this so rare? He gives three more illustrations. (laughs) He just keeps pummeling us. He gives three more illustrations. What does it mean to love? If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what's the benefit? And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But instead, love your enemies. So you know me and spectrums and trying to flesh out these ideas. Why does this feel so rare? You still have that person in your head that might be opposing you? Or maybe a little outside of this text, but I think connected that you might be opposed to? If we tried to find that sweet spot of loving your enemies, I feel like on one extreme, we equate not retaliating with Jesus' love. As long as I don't go and act on those revenge thoughts in my heart, then then I'm demonstrating love. Jesus goes a little further than that. But I think the other side of the spectrum, which feels also as elusive, it just feels so impossible. It feels so impossible that I'm not actually able to fulfill this. And maybe when you heard those illustrations about a kid and parent relationship, a government and citizen, uh, an employer and employee, if you're like me, sometimes I'm just looking to get off the hook. (laughs) Jesus, that just feels so impossible. It can't possibly be true. Ah, see, that's where it's not true. And I'm, I'm off the hook. Because our heart, I think, clamors for justice. And we look around and sometimes we see justice not vindicated or, 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 or enacted. And yet I'm convinced, whether in this life or the next, justice will occur. <laughs> and it's beyond something I can actually provide or give, ultimately. Like Jean Valjean, I think, if we extrapolated the metaphor, there is justice where those crimes that were committed were vindicated at the cross. Jesus actually died for those wrongs. Or 
there's an eternity that I think vindication will ultimately happen. Neither one of those I'm ultimately responsible for. But we assume it's impossible. The other layer, we look around and, and we've just been poorly taught of what it might mean to love our enemies. Maybe it means acquiescing. When we hear turn the other cheek, it just means acquiescing rather than lovingly stand. We've been poorly taught. I don't think this text is teaching pacifism. Because <laughs> just two texts earlier, or a few, few chapters earlier, John the Baptist doesn't say to the soldiers, stop being soldiers. He says, stop extorting people as a soldier. Well, why might we not love our enemies? Because we've swung to the other side and we've been poorly taught maybe what this might feel like or look like, where we disconnect our emotions from it as well. Or we just don't take Jesus seriously. He can't really mean that. On the other side of we assuming, we assume it's been impossible, we've just never seen it. Why is this love so rare? I've just never seen someone manifest <laughs> what it might look like. Because the human heart is so filled with the desire. But David, they wronged me. I was in a coffee shop just a couple weeks ago. And I'm learning this in Wisconsin. People invite themselves into your conversations. It's just... <laughs> Part of the joy, I guess, of being in Wisconsin. It's how we received our first TV. Did I, did I tell you about this? We're sitting at Culver's talking about our TV, and we should go buy, buy one at Black Friday, and someone just popped into our conversation. Hey, we have a TV you could have. I'm like, where did this person come from? <laughs> so, so we're talking about Jesus at a coffee shop, and someone invites themselves into this conversation. <laughs> God's a myth. Oh, thank you for your perspective, right? Oh, <laughs> tell me more. I, so, but, but the challenge is what starts to well up in our heart when someone maybe attacks us, curses us, wrongs us, abuses us, hates us. I know the emotion that wells up in my heart. And so love your enemies. We just haven't seen it. It's so rare that we just don't know what it looks like or feels like. Nor have we experienced someone doing it to us. I know what we've experienced. When I wrong someone, how do, they, how do I want to usually respond? I want to wrong them back. And depending on your level of guile, sometimes you start manipulating the situation to determine how can you wrong them without per being perceived as wronging them, right? How, how might I gain the upper hand and gain mastery over this person by showing that I'm smarter and I'm manipulating, you know, hey, hey, I, turns out I didn't get invited to the office party. Oh, your invite must have just been lost in the mail or something. I don't know. I, we just start having this vindictive attitude. We've not experienced it. When I lend a tool to my neighbor and they screw it up and break it, what do I want? Replace that stinking thing, right? Do you know how much I paid for at Menards to buy that thing? And we have that mentality, and yet Jesus keeps offering something else. Love your enemies. 
When someone has joy in diminishing my joy, the response in turn is love. And so where's that motivation come from? How in the world could anyone ever imagine living with that type of love? Jesus gives three motivations. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Why? (laughs) He motivates us with the joy that is there and available. Why? Because your reward will be great in heaven. There is joy to be had, and there is a reward that is driving this type of love. (laughs) Your reward will be great in heaven. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. What does He say? Your reward will be great. Oh. How clear does that reward feel in the moment when someone's opposing you? Not often as clear. And yet there's the compelling call that Jesus keeps saying, you're flying your plane right side up. Do you believe that there's joy to be had? Oh. (laughs) But he broke that brand new tool that I just bought at Menards. What do you mean you just want me to lend it with nothing in return? He should pay for it. Did you know how, how they're constantly berating me and abusing me? And you want me to demonstrate giving them the candlesticks as well? They stole the silverware. Your reward will be great and the world will see the God you serve. The inevitable expression when you start loving people, inviting them into this kingdom, in these different spaces in life with the people, that you're engaging with, the inevitable, the inevitable byproduct is going to be resistance in the form of opposition in various forms. And we continue to say, there's life with Jesus, one life at a time. And then that call for vindication in my heart, where do those wrongs get vindicated. I think two places, either on the cross (laughs) or an eternity apart from Christ. But there's a demonstration, I think, of displaying mercy that we've received. Because who gets the credit, if you'll allow this language, who gets the credit for Jean Valjean's turn He went on and did massive goods if you go and watch the play. But it was rooted where? In that priest who believed loving his enemy was going to pay dividends. And so there's a radical love with a profound motivation. How do we display that a little bit more thoroughly this week? Here's our heart around here. We, we long to be disciples that make disciples. Jesus said in Matthew 28, go make disciples. How might I love 
my enemies more thoroughly this week. I think it just starts here. Do you actually believe that's possible? That person that came to mind, maybe a coworker, maybe a boss, <laughs> maybe a neighbor, maybe a friend, maybe your spouse, your kids. And the tendency in our heart that inevitably starts to well up, let me get back at them. Do we actually take Jesus' teaching seriously? Because here's what's normal in our world. Evil for evil or good for good, that's expected. People call that karma. If I do good, I'm going to get good. Someone does evil, they're going to get evil, whether it's by my hand or someone else's. That's expected. And yet what flies in the face of this world is actually good for evil, and that can only come from one place. If the Spirit of God lives in you and He's filling your life, Oh, is it hard? <laughs> and don't, don't hear me say this is easy. So then I would say, so we ask God to reveal to us why we aren't more loving. What's, what's preventing my heart from going to that place? What, what is the barrier you guys with me right now, or am I just ranting and raving like usual? Because uh, you guys give me an incredible privilege. Just imagine sitting in this text for a week, <laughs> right? And seeing my inadequacy over and over and over as I just go, God, you are so gracious with me. Why am I not more loving given the fact that I know what I've received? And so we begin identifying who these people are that take joy in diminishing our joy. Not the they, not people that I might dislike. That's a different issue. These are people that are opposed. Who are they? And is my goal to say there is more in joy in Jesus? And I long for you to experience God's glory and joy in him through some loving acts. And so once I've identified this person, then I actually start working through, how might I love them? There's an ancient philosopher, Seneca. I referenced him earlier. Man, and we are flying, right? You guys are... The world understands love. Seneca would say... The way you love is by having mastery over someone. Jesus instead says, it's not about dominating, but actually this serving. And so identifying where they might be at, an area where you might demonstrate love for this person in real time with the hopes that it costs you something, time, treasure, or talent, because you actually feel your desire for them and your desire to bring God glory. 
And I hope we as a community pursue the reward of Jesus and his love with all our might. That Dane County, that Southern Wisconsin, that Oregon, that Fitchburg, <laughs> that Stoughton, that Verona, that Belleville, Brooklyn, Middleton, McFarland might be different because of Hillcrest's investment one life at a time, demonstrating this radical upside-down kingdom. Here's the prayer we've been praying. God, help me to listen closely to your teachings so they reshape and renew me to know your truth in whatever you're inviting me into today. So here is where we sit. If you've experienced this mercy and grace, I'm going to invite the worship team up to play behind us, and I'm going to invite our, our, our ushers to begin passing out the elements. If we've experienced this mercy, how might we demonstrate this mercy this week? And so they're going to play for a little bit. If you've never come to faith in Christ, I'd encourage you just let the elements pass. Because this time of communion is a reflection of uh, sitting in the mercy we've received. And so as the elements are passed, just sit in this for a minute and then I will come back up and we will take these elements together. Who's that person that comes to mind? <laughs> and how might God be inviting you to demonstrate more fully this radical call of living in his kingdom?